Uh, last week, like I said, we celebrated 10 years as a church family. Many people are sick. Many people were out of town last Sunday. So I thought, you know what, let's, let's run the slideshow again. For those of you who weren't here, uh, this is our story. This is uh, kind of 10 years of God-glorifying ministry and lives being changed. So, so you sit back. This is the story of the well. We celebrate that, but we're also at the stage now, and I spent this week really understanding that this is a significant time for us as a church family. As much as we celebrate the last 10 years, uh, I really believe uh, we're, in a, we're in a turning. We're in a transition right here for the next 10 20. Um, and many of you who have joined us recently or in the last couple of years, uh, I look forward to having you join us and, and be a part of this and, and the continuing story um, that God is writing here at the well. Uh, you know, that doesn't just happen. You know, from day one all the way back to Cindy's living room, uh, there, was, there was intentionality we were focused on what we were supposed to be about, right? Many of us uh, that gathered the first time at Cindy's uh, living room um, were there out of a dispersion that happened uh, at the church that we used to attend, and, and many had never uh, connected into another church, and God prompted me to say, hey, you know what? We know a few people that aren't going anywhere. Why don't we just do a Bible study? Let's get the church being the church again. And little did we know that we would be here, right, on February 9th, uh, really out of a desire to, to connect the church and help the church be what the church is supposed to be. Um, but in that, we've been, we've been very intentional about what is the mission of the church. Okay, if we're going to do this, we need to be really clear about what we're supposed to be doing. What is our mission? And that's a testimony, honestly, to, to us uh, through the ups and downs and twists and turns of, of running a church and trying to grow a church, staying focused, staying focused on our mission, right? Our mission statement here at the church is we are passionate followers of Jesus, compelled by his love to make disciples of all nations for the glory of God, right? It's in your bulletins. We have the leads. Hopefully try to memorize that. Um, but it's more than just words. It's more than something that's just kind of cool. Hey, what's your vision? Oh, you got a vision. No, we really mean this. This is what every ministry here at the church is united around. This is foundational to everything we do, is this. If it doesn't fit this vision, we don't do it. And we don't just put busy programs out there for the sake of social. or just, No, it all has to fit. It all comes back to our vision, our mission, right? And in January, we, our key verses was Colossians 3. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is, seated at the right hand of God. Set your minds on things that are above, not on things that are on the earth. So we spent January kind of getting the gears going into 2020 and more at a personal level saying, hey, this year, take January to really drive the stake in the ground that you are going to purpose intentionally, proactively to keep your mind set on things above. Right? So just a quick, quick check, quick checkup. It's February 9th. One, year, one month has already passed. Overall, how have you been doing with that, the application, being a hearer or doer? Have you, one month, maybe a month and a half into 2020, done a better job of keeping your mind set on things above? How have you been doing with that? We spent a month on that, right, talking about faith and what that would require. Now, the interesting thing is, as I was looking at the slideshow, thinking about 
where we're heading as a church into 2020 and beyond, those same verses apply to us as a church. And in February, we're going to look at this. What does it mean for us as a church and you as a participant, you as someone that is called to be a member of this particular body, what does it mean for us as a church to keep our minds, our hearts set on things above? To stay true to the vision, right? We saw in Mark 8 when Jesus was telling his boys, hey, by the way, we got to go to Jerusalem. When I get to Jerusalem, you know, I'm going to suffer. I'm going to be killed and I'm going to raise from the dead. You remember when Peter rebuked him? Right? Peter rebuked him and it's that get behind me Satan moment, right? And we saw a couple of weeks ago, why did Peter rebuke Jesus? Fundamentally, Peter rebuked Jesus because what Jesus was saying about his suffering, his death, his resurrection, didn't fit Peter's vision, expectations for the Messiah. The Jews thought the Messiah was political, military, conqueror, free us from Rome. That's Messiah. Jesus saying, I'm going to suffer, die, and raise again. It didn't fit Peter's expectations. So he popped off. He rebukes Jesus. Not you, Lord. And what does Jesus say? Get behind me, Satan. And what's going on there? Well, Peter has this expectation and he doesn't like that what Jesus is saying isn't fitting his expectation. So he reacts in anger. Right? And when Jesus says, get behind me, Satan, in Matthew 16, it says, you're a hindrance to me. You're an obstacle. What he's saying is, hey, Peter, you're thinking about this like just from this, the horizontal. You're thinking about this from man's perspective, not from God's. Hey, Peter, get behind me, Satan, meaning you're hindering my call. You're now a hindrance. You're now an obstacle. Because you're looking at it from man's perspective, you're now hindering me from fulfilling my mission given to me by my Father. You're a hindrance. You're an obstacle. That same thing can happen in the church. If we're not clear about what the mission of the church is supposed to be. See, in this room right now, we're an independent church. So I understand that there's a huge cross-section, huge spectrum represented here of church background, church tradition, and church expectation. Right? And so how do we maneuver through that? Because I might say something, the style of ministry, you know, drums, no drums. Right? Because we come through the door and there's deal breakers potentially. Right? We come in and if you're visiting or, you know, first time through, you, you, you may not literally have a sheet. Some people do have a sheet. And they check it off. They vet the church. Right? Do you know in, in the world of church, in church growth conferences, you know what the two biggest things that the experts say people look at when deciding whether or not to come back to a church? What do you think they are? The bathrooms and the nursery. I know that. That's why our bathrooms and nursery are top notch. Because some of you, first impression, you don't even make it to here and you have to use the restroom. I understand. You're, first, people come here, you're getting out of your car, you're vetting. What does it look like? The landscape. Are people smiling? Do they look friendly? 
Are we going to be welcome here? You walk in, the lights, everything, you're vetting, you're vetting, you're vetting. Most of it based on your past experiences. Right? You have expectations. You have expectations of the pastor. How do they dress there? Right? For a while on Saturday nights, it was so funny because I decided, just kind of like because I wanted to, I started to wear ties on Saturday night. And I just kind of giggled at how many guys started wearing ties because I wore ties. Well, I guess we wear ties now, you know. And then I stopped wearing a tie and they're like, what happened? Right? Expectations, right? Peter had an unmet expectation about the Messiah and he vented. We can come as an independent community type of church and you don't even know you have expectations until a button gets pressed. And that's okay. We can work through that as long as we work through it rooted and grounded in Scripture. Right? There's a difference between unity and uniformity, just so you know. We are called to be united as the body of Christ in Christ. We're united in Christ. That unity in Christ allows for a lot of diversity in the body. Okay? Now, unfortunately, what has happened in our culture, specifically in America, people can't even disagree anymore. You can't even have a civil discussion. You can't even agree. You know, you just can't anymore. People go to like red line immediately. And unfortunately, that has bled into the church. And now it's my way or the highway, right? You know, and and we, we get very dogmatic about things. And the diversity is no longer allowed. And now, because whatever is triggering us, we have to be uniform. I understand sort of the fine line that we have to walk around here and I have to walk around here, right? Because I got a former pastor right there from a Baptist church, right? Uh-oh, I heard, uh-oh, what's up? <laughs> right? And I got another pastor over here who is a senior pastor, Robert, in church in Santa Barbara. There's diversity represented in this room. I understand that. That is why the one thing that we have driven the stake in the ground, is that we're just going to be united around this. The Word of God. Not disrespecting tradition, not any of that, but we're not going to elevate tradition over to Scripture. Now, will we always agree on everything? No. Come to Tuesday nights. <laughs> you, want, you want a first-hand experience of a Tuesday night Bible study where someone across the table says, I heard this, and someone says, well, I heard this. And then Randy and Bill are like, row, row. But you know what the beautiful thing is? You can work through it. You can mature. You can grow up into the, being a mature believer by having discussions, looking at the Word of God, humbling yourself to recognize that nobody has it wired. We really don't, right? But that doesn't mean we can't unify around the mission of the church, right? And so we're going to spend February looking at, okay, what is the mission of the church? Moving ahead, and then if you're called to this local body of believers, what is your role? Right? What is your role? Because a lot of people have, have misconceptions about the church. Right? And I asked this question years ago. Is a church a person, place, or thing? Because some people say person, because we joke when we started this church that everyone in the valley started to refer to it as Richie's church. I was like, don't, please don't ever say that. Right? And I still get it. I still got it like recently. Like someone, my wife at work, oh, Richie's church. I'm like, don't say that. It's not my church. 
So sometimes churches get, get built around a personality, right? Or a place. How many of you say it's time to go to church? We go to church and then we leave church. Now there's an element of truth because that you're at 1290 grand. There is a 501c3 organization called registered as a church named Ojai Valley Christian Fellowship, a.k.a. The Well. So technically, yes, you did go to church. And technically, yes, you will be leaving church. But do you ever really leave church? What is a church? Person? Place? Thing? I mean, really, it's more like a thing, if you want to call it that. The word for church in the Bible is ecclesia. And that's not even a churchy word. An ecclesia was in, in, the, in the context of the culture, they had a village. And whenever the village needed to get together, they would like ring a bell or the herald would say, hey, everyone, let's get together. And they would call them out. And they would assemble and they would take care of village business. That's ecclesia, the called out ones, an assembly. That's the word for church. It's called out. It's an assembly. Okay? There's other descriptions of the church, right? The body of Christ, the bride of Christ, flock of God, household of God, people of God. Radically different than just the place you go to once a week and leave, right? Because it really, the church is about the people. It's really about us. And that radically changes what it means to me and to you. Right? Because oftentimes in America, particularly, we're used to church as it's a spectator sport. Right? You guys come and you sit in really clean rows and all the hired guns and professionals are on the stage and we talk at you and then we say, ready, break, and church is done and you leave church and you go to lunch until the next time you go to church. Well, what if it was really like you're always the church wherever you go? And then when the church gathers on Sunday, we are the church to each other. Meaning you have an active role in this. Radical shift, right? Radical shift. And that's how we operate around here, right? That the church is really the people, right? You remember that rhyme that I taught you, right? Right? So everyone do this with your fingers if you, right? It's a modified, right? Remember everyone used to say, here's a church, here's a steeple, open the door, right? So I'd change it like this. So everyone, if you want to, say, put your fingers like this. So this is what I do. I've been teaching the churches for 10 years. So here's a building with or without a steeple. So put one up if you want. If you don't, that's fine. All right? So here's a building with or without a steeple. Open the doors. The church is the... The church is the people. If you will just learn this, it will radically transform 2020 and beyond. If you include yourself as the church being the people, watch out. God can use you radically as part of his church, right? So we have to be honest. We have to say, what is our mission? And there's a lot of people out there telling you what the mission of the church ought to be. There's a lot of people out there. There have been people who come here who don't come back because they don't jive with what we believe is the mission. They have these expectations that we don't meet. I get that. I understand that. Right? Years ago, we were uh, invited to a pastor appreciation brunch, uh, lunch, I'm sorry, breakfast, at the, the top floor of the Crown Plaza there. You know that nice hotel by the pier. Rooms filled with hundreds of pastors and uh, leaders, church leaders from all over Ventura County. And the guest speaker, the keynote speaker, is John MacArthur. And it was, I forget which election, it was election year. So there was this buzz 
about John MacArthur and what he was going to share. And what he actually shared, kind of like it was a Peter moment. And some people didn't actually, because he talked about the mission of the church in light of the election coming up. And a lot of people in the church, there was an audible mumbling and murmuring because he spoke very directly to the mission of the church. Right. And I came across uh, a passage from him that, that was really similar to what he he said there. And I want to I want to read it to you because he is, you know, if you know anything about John MacArthur, he's very direct, very blunt, very to the point. And so this is his position about the mission of the church. This is what he says. The only thing we fight for is the gospel, the kingdom of God. The church has no connection to the kingdoms of this world. So there's no point in us rearranging the deck chairs on the Titanic. It's going down. And that is not our calling. We have to get lifeboats and get people off the Titanic before it sinks. That is what the true church does. Turning the church into an agency of social welfare and moral influence is Satan's strategy. We don't exist to propagate traditional values. I like traditional values, obviously. And as a person living in the world, I want to do the best I can to see the best possible situation. But my goal in life is not to reinstate Judeo-Christian ethics on some social level. I don't march for anything but the gospel. Our mission is not better government institutions or better government agencies. Our mission is not better popular morality. Our mission is better people, transformed people through the gospel. And the gospel so transforms people that they will transform their society. That's the end of racism. That's the end of crime. The end of every rotten thing in our culture is the gospel of Jesus Christ and transformed souls. And it's lived out right here. Let the world see, let the world see people who love, people who care, people who serve one another. He's really clear. Right? Very clear. Our mission is about transformation through the gospel of Jesus Christ. And when he shared something very similar to like that, in a room full of church leaders at that breakfast, there was an audible murmuring of disagreement. There. And, you know, I was like, wow, okay. It's kind of noted it. It's affected me. And I'm thinking of us as 10 years into this, 10 years beyond. Are we going to be true to our mission? Do we even know our mission, right? And it brought me back to Matthew 16, familiar passage. It says, now when Jesus came into the district of Caesarea Philippi, he asked his disciples, who do people say that the Son of Man is? And they said, some say John the Baptist, others say Elijah, and others Jeremiah or one of the prophets. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, right? We're going to focus on this verse 16. He said to them, but who do you say that I am? Simon Peter replied, you are the Christ, the son of the living God. And Jesus answered him, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, for flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father who is in heaven. And I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church, and the gates of hell shall not prevail against it, right? You are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. Now, in some church traditions, they believe that he meant Peter. But really what it was, was the church being built on Peter's declaration. 
right? So kind of a wordplay when it says, I tell you that you are Peter, the word that he uses there means stone, like a stone or a fragment. And then he says, when he says, and on this rock, I will build my church, that word rock is bedrock, immovable stone. So what he's saying, hey, Peter, you're Peter, and you just said an immovable truth, that my church that I'm going to build is built on me, the Christ, the Son of the living God. So the church, our mission, who we are, the well, exists all the way back to the bedrock of Jesus Christ. That's what it is. Right? From day one. Jesus says, I'm the builder. It's my church, and it's built on me. I am the bedrock of the church. Right? Ephesians 2. So then you are no longer strangers and aliens, but you are fellow citizens with the saints and members of the household of God. Built on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, Christ Jesus himself being the what? Cornerstone. 1 Corinthians 3.11 For no one can lay any foundation other than the one we already have, Jesus Christ. He's the foundation. He's the cornerstone of the church. He's been that way for 10 years. For as long as this church is in existence, Lord willing, he will always be the cornerstone of the well. It's about Jesus and who he is, right? It's his church. He builds it. What is Acts 2.47? And the Lord added daily to their, and the Lord added to their number day by day those who were being saved. He builds the church. He builds the church, right? We got it. We got it. Years ago, we, we kind of squashed the whole success syndrome, right? I shared this with you before. When you're around other pastors, they always ask, well, how big's your church? Right? As if I'm building the church. As if it's up to me and then the numbers equate to success, right? And so I told you before, I mess with them when I go to these, you know? They say, how big's your church in Ojai? I'm like, we're under a thousand. You're under a thousand? I'm like, yeah, it's cool, huh? I don't say 150, because I know, right? Under a thousand sounds so much cooler. Wow, that's awesome. But that's so weird, right? Because it's up to me to build this church, and somehow building it means more people. That's an expectation. That's a pressure that a lot of pastors face every Sunday. Track attendance. And somehow if attendance dips... The pastor's the problem. If the attendance is up, the pastors, right, can walk on water because it's all about him. No, he builds the church. He builds the church. I tell the, I tell the leadership team here regularly, and I mean this. This is not even an exaggeration. I am blessed, and I call it a miracle, that even one of you come on a Sunday. You're like, what does that mean? I'm like, I know. This is a volunteer gig. You got up. You got dressed. Some of you ate, some of you didn't. Most of you got in your cars, you expended gas to get here. And I'm like, that's crazy. That's crazy. I mean, I, that, 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 I'm honestly, that just blows me away. I'm like, to, to listen to me? It's crazy. And I know what, you know, take that the right way. It's nuts. Because this is a volunteer gig. So he, I, I don't, I'm like, that's him. To go from that living room to this, that's crazy. That's crazy to me. I can't explain it. Don't ask me to explain it other than we preach the Word of God. We preach the Word of God and ask the Holy Spirit to do what only He can do. That's kind of what we've been. And it's a head-scratcher, but it should be a head-scratcher because that gives Him the glory. Right? So we have to be true. 
Right? First Timothy says, although I hope to come to you soon, I am writing the, you these instructions so that if I am delayed, you will know how people ought to conduct themselves in the God's household, which is the church of the living God, the pillar and foundation of the truth. So what are we supposed to be? The pillar and foundation of truth. That's what we do here, week in and week out. Word of God, word of God, word of God. Pillar and foundation of truth. And so what are, we, what, is our, what are we being commissioned to do, right? Great commission, Matthew 28. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. So we're the pillar and foundation of truth. We take the truth out to do what? What is our mission? Make disciples. Now, in that passage, when it says baptizing, baptizing implies people are getting saved that need to be baptized. So there's evangelism. And then there's teaching. Now, you've heard me say over and over in the Bible, you have not heard until you do. Right? So it's not just teaching for information dissemination. It's teaching so that you will actually do it. So the commission, our mission, fundamental for 10 years and the 10 years and however long, is to make disciples. How do you do that? We share the gospel and we teach people how to walk in faith and obedience. That's kind of what it boils down to here. And all the slides and all the ministries, everything goes back to that great commission, rooted in the truth. This is kind of, I know it's like basic, so hang in with because if we don't get this in 2020, that fast you can go off in the tangents. You can just get pulled in so many directions. And I feel it. I have felt pressure. Oh, you should do this more. And why don't you do this more? And why don't you, oh. Yeah, no, it's not really what we're called to do. That's not what we believe is fundamental mission here, right? And believe me, there's plenty to do. Just doing that keeps me busy, right? Matthew 7. Not everyone who says to me, Lord, Lord, will enter the kingdom of heaven, but the one who does the will of my Father who is in heaven. On that day, many will say to me, Lord, Lord, did we not prophesy in your name and cast out demons in your name and do many works in your name and go to the well every Sunday and go to Tuesday night Bible study and go to Aspire and go to men's Bible study? And then I will declare to them, I never knew you. Depart from me, you workers of lawlessness. You see? Burden I have is that people who come here regularly, like you call this your church, we want you to know Jesus. I want you to know Jesus. I don't want you to know the well above Jesus. You don't get brownie points. According to this verse, you don't get brownie points for that. Keeps me, that's my heart. You want to know what keeps me up? Wondering if you really know Jesus. Man. Right? John 6. Then they asked him, what must we do to do do the works of God? Jesus answered, the work of God is this, to believe in the one he has sent. 1 John 3, 23. This is his command, to believe in the name of his son, Jesus Christ, and to love one another as he commanded us. You want to know what my heartbeat is? Fundamentally, for you to know Jesus. Nothing else matters to me. Nothing else matters. I don't care how much you give. I don't care how much you serve. I don't care if you go to Mexico. I don't care if you go to Haiti. I don't care what you do around here, as long as you know Jesus. Because that's all that matters for eternity. To me. That's really what matters to me, is if you know Jesus. All this fluff, this is just fluff. We can build a big cathedral. It doesn't matter if you don't know Jesus. So if you want to know what gets me, and what it's a double-edged sword. I get the privilege to preach the gospel, but then I also have the heartache of wondering. That verse is a pastoral nightmare. 
And on my watch, I hope and pray to God that that doesn't happen on my watch. That's why we're so pretty. We're clear with the gospel. We try to say it over and over. We don't deviate from the gospel because of that verse for me. I want you to know Jesus. I want your name written in the book of life. A lot of this is just stuff. Honestly. Honestly. Church at Ephesus had problems. Right? They became very religious. Routine. Orthodox. He says this, I have this against you. You have abandoned the love you had at first. You know what else? As we do church so good here at the well, I don't want us to lose our first love. I don't want us to lose our first love. I don't want us just to go to the roadmap, stand up, sit down, sing, da, 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 and all of a sudden, we're just doing Sundays and we don't even love Jesus anymore. It's a pastoral nightmare to pastor a church that doesn't love Jesus anymore. Man, right? And then, on top of that, you got the church at Laodicea. He says this, I say, for you say, church at Laodicea, I am rich, I have prospered, and I need nothing. Not realizing that you are wretched, pitiable, poor, blind, and naked. The church at Laodicea was the church at Ojai, very comfortable, very rich, very wealthy. In fact, the Christians there were so wealthy that they decided they didn't even need God. Spiritual apathy and complacency out of material prosperity. There's another one that keeps me up. We live in SoCal, and we got the beach, and we got this, and we live in Ojai, and da-da-da-da-da. How do we keep our spiritual fire? How do we keep lit for Jesus with all this material prosperity? How does it not dull us? How do we go right past people at Libby Park that need Jesus? Right? Luke 10.20 Jesus had sent 72 out. They come back celebrating that they can cast out demons. And here's what Jesus says. Nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rejoice that your names are written in heaven. Hey, this is again. We clap for the slideshow. I clap for the slideshow. But what he says in this verse is, hey, nevertheless, don't clap for the slideshow. Clap that your names are written in heaven. So again, pastorally, how do we celebrate the well? How do we keep moving forward but not let the well become an idol? The well, I pray that the well never becomes an idol. Do not put your faith in me. I will fail you. Do not put your faith in the well as your security blanket because the well is made up of fallible human beings just doing our best to follow Jesus. Right? We celebrate it here, but we rejoice. I rejoice because your name is written in the book of life. And because your name is written in the book of life, and my name is written in the book of life, we spend eternity together. That's what I rejoice about. So on top of all that, wondering if you really know Jesus, trying not to lose our first love, trying not to become spiritually apathetic, right? Not celebrating and let the, let the well become an idol. On top of all that, as we pursue our mission, look what it says in John 15. If the world hates you, know that it has hated me before it hated you. If you were of the world, the world would love you as its own. But because you're not of the world, but I chose you out of the world, therefore the world hates you. So I'm wondering if you're saved. I'm wondering if you stop loving Jesus. I'm wondering if you're spiritually apathetic. I'm wondering if the, the well is an idol. And on top of that, the world hates me and you. Right? All because we're pursuing the mission. 
All because we're just doing our best to fulfill the Great Commission and follow Jesus, we're hated by the world. So, all this to say, there's plenty to do for all of us. So let's just stay focused on the mission. Amen? And let's just make disciples. Let's love one another as we're called to love one another because that's the testimony. We will be founded on the truth. We will speak the truth in love, uncompromising. But we have to stay true to the mission because it's way more complex than it sounds. Oh, is that all you do? Make disciples? Is that all we do? (laughs) Oh, it's so much more complex because you're dealing with people, right? So how do we do this without getting discouraged? How do we stay the course without giving up and throwing our hands up, right? Well, we look at the last part of that verse, Matthew 16, 18. It says, I tell you, you are Peter, and on this rock I will build my church. And here's a part that most of us don't really get. And the gates of hell shall not prevail against it. He's saying, hey, church, I'm going to build my church, right, on on who I am. And here's the thing. It's going to be victorious. We fight from victory, not for victory. Now, what's going on in this? It says earlier that they were in Caesarea Philippi. In Caesarea Philippi, when Jesus said this, everyone would have said, what? Because in Caesarea Philippi, there was the sanctuary, the temple of Pan. And if you go there, go ahead. It used to look like this. There were these temples, pagan worship, the Greek god of Pan, which was like the god of like forests and shepherds and flocks, that kind of, you know. And so there was pagan worship right here, right? And if you, go ahead, if you go there today, the the temples aren't there, but the cave is there. And I went there, and I've seen this. You know what this cave is called? The Gate of Hades. The Gates of Hell. What they believe, Garrett, go back one more. So this was the sanctuary of Pan. What they believed is a Greek god of Pan lived in the cave. And that cave was the door to Hades and hell. Go ahead, Garrett. So if you go there today, that's the gates of Hades. That's the gates of hell. Tradition says that's the gates to the underworld. You can go there today. It's, called, it's literally gates of hell. So Jesus says the gates of hell will not prevail against my church. What that meant was the ultimate obstacle in that, in that culture, the ultimate obstacle was death. Hell and Hades represented death. And Jesus is saying, hey, I'm going to build my church, but death will not even prevail over it. And ultimately, why? Because he rose from the dead. It's crazy. So he says, hey, be true to the mission, build the church, and you're going from victory, not for victory, because I rose from the dead. Right? And then, and then it's amazing because I was thinking of this and I thought of a picture that my daughter uh, painted for me or drew for me and it's in my office and it says, stay the course. And it's a great reminder for me and for us as a church when I'm a pastor, I'm like, Lord, where are we going? Are we drifting? Are we 2020? What are we supposed to do? And he says, and she gave me that and I'm like, and I looked at that and I'm like, we stay the course. We stay the course. We have a mission. We stay the course. Week in, week out, week in, week out. Someone compared it to a meal, right? How many of you, many of us, how many of you forget what you ate? Right? You don't remember every single meal, right? But you know you had to eat it, right? Meal in, day in and day out. It's the church. It's the word of God. 
Not every sermon's uplifting and crazy. Not every meal. How many of you, your wives or your husbands, make this crazy meal, every meal? Okay, one. Thank you. How many of you, it's cereal and toast or you fend for yourself? Right? Thank you over here, right? So meals aren't always this big thing. Either is church. Either is the Word of God. Either is prayer, the disciplines. You do it because you need it. You stay the course. You stay the course, right? And Ephesians 4 says this. He makes the whole body fit together perfectly as each part does its own special work. It helps the other parts grow so that the whole body is healthy and growing and full of love. You know what that means? If we're going to stay the course, it means we stay the course. We all have a part to play. If you call the well your home church, you have a part to play here. And we take that very serious. Right? We're going to talk in the next few weeks about covenant, what it means to be in covenant with us, what it means to, to you know, use your gifts and your talents, your resources here. We're going to talk about that very specific because you have a part to play. Right? And here's the thing. The Bible also says that we're in a spiritual warfare. So if we're going to stay the course together, and you're going to use your gifts, and I'm using my gifts together, we have to expect opposition. Right? Because the devil, this is the last place he wants you to be right now. And this is the last place he wants you to use your gifts and talents and resources. Think about that. You step out in obedience, join me with the bullseye. But it's the greatest privilege in all eternity, right? So what do we do together? And I thought of that ship, that ship picture and something that I had come across a while ago. There's a phrase called nail the colors to the mast. And here's what that means. This is a kind of a famous picture. In 1797, the English and the Dutch navies went to battle. It's called the Battle of Camperdown. The English fleet was led by this ship called the Venerable and the Admiral Duncan. So when the fleets engaged, the Venerable's mast was hit. And when the Venerable's mast was hit, the Admiral's colors came down. Now what happens in naval warfare at this time, when the colors come down, it means you surrendered. So the mast is hit, the colors come down, they're freaking out because they might think that the other English ships look at the admiral and says, He's, did he surrender? So what happened was a now hero in England named Jack Crawford crawled up the remainder of the mast with the colors and nailed the colors to the mast for everyone to see. When you nail the colors to the mast, it means I'm not surrendering. I have driven the stake in the ground. I refuse to yield. The colors cannot come down because I have nailed the colors to the mast. Surrender is no longer an option. Around here, we have nailed the colors to the mast. There's our mast. We have nailed our colors to Jesus. Nailed them. When we moved in here, that cross out there was here. 
And it was an option to remove it. It really was. We didn't have to have it up there. And I'll tell you right now, that cross is out there for a very specific reason. It's a statement. It's a statement. It's not an in-your-face statement. It's a statement about the grace and the gospel and the resurrection of Jesus Christ. But it is an unmistakable statement about who we are in this building and where our colors are nailed. We have nailed our colors to the mast at the well. We have. And this, this uh, week has been kind of tough for me because, you know, 10 years, I take a deep breath. I'm like, oh, Lord, how much longer am I going to be here? What are we going to do? And what are we supposed to be about? Is it about the programs and all this stuff, change happening? And he goes, did you nail the colors to the mast? Yeah. Well, what's the mast? Jesus. So I don't know what 2020 will hold for us. I don't know what 2021. All I know is that the colors are nailed to the mast. I will lead. I will stand. But by golly, the colors are not coming down. The colors are not coming down at this church. Okay. So that's what we're about. We're going to do this together. We do life together. But I want you to know, the colors can't come down. They're nailed. That's why that cross is out there. It's intentional. It's not a mean in your face to this valley. It's a loving invitation to come know Jesus to this valley. But we will not compromise. We will not strike the colors. We can do no other here. The pillar and foundation of truth. Jesus is the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through him. That is the colors. That is the foundation. We bring that message to this valley, to the world. There is a God that loves you deeply, so much that he sent his son to die for your sins. You're saved by grace through faith, not by works, lest anyone should boast. For ten years, that's what we've been built on, and for... Lord willing, as long as this church is in existence, the colors are nailed to the cross, and we will not ever strike them. I don't care what society says. I don't care what culture says. We stand on the truth of the Word of God, and we stand on a profession that Christ, Jesus is the Christ, the Son of the living God. Amen? Amen. Father, thank you. Thank you for reminding us this morning of our mission. It's very clear. Make disciples. So help us stay true to that. We are the pillar and foundation of truth. We are to bring the gospel, the good news to the world. And what is the gospel? It's all about Jesus. Jesus, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Father, this morning... We purpose, I purpose, I reaffirm as the senior pastor, the elders repurpose this morning that the colors are nailed to the mast. We have driven the stake in the ground. We stand upon the word of God. We will not compromise. 
the colors are nailed to the mast. We will not surrender. We go forth in victory. Even you, Jesus, said death would not prevail. So we go forth. However long you would have us as a church, Father, we celebrate you. We look forward to seeing what you're going to do in the days and weeks and years ahead. But on February 9th, 2020, we reaffirm our colors are nailed to the mast. Jesus is the cornerstone. We will not compromise. We will stay true to your vision.